Merry Christmas, church family. Gosh, I love this time. I love it. I love it. Um, this is Advent season. This is Advent season. I love Christmas time. Who doesn't? Christmas time is a great time for many of us. And it's a looking forward to. Advent means looking forward to. And obviously Christ came, back, came to us the first time in the manger, but now we're also looking forward to the second coming. This is what we're looking for. Last week, Pastor Kenny, Kenny's message was titled, Hope for God's Redemption, where Christ comes back to redeem us, to purchase us from the price of sin and the penalty of sin. Like opening up a gift uh, of today, we're, trying to, we're opening up a new gift uh, of Jesus. We're seeing a different facet of Jesus today. Today we're focusing on the purifying aspect of Christ. Not only does the Lord want to buy us back from sin, he wants to polish us off. He wants to make us as effective as possible, as holy of a people group as possible. And so today we're talking about the hope for the purifier on this Lord's Day. And uh, we'll be at the book of Malachi in uh, chapter 2. If you want to turn there, I'll be reading out of Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 5. And this is the last book of the Old Testament. A little context as you're turning there. And this is the last word that, the, that our Lord gives to Israel for over 400 years. He's silent, divine silence. And then John the Baptist comes onto the scene and breaks God's silence. But this is God's last word. And the Israelites have been back for approximately 70 years from exile. They were captured into Babylon. Persia now takes over, and they're allowed to return back to Jerusalem. So it's been 70 years now. A whole generation has been back. And how have the Israelites been? The walls have been rebuilt. The new temple has been rebuilt. You know, although they made it back to Jerusalem, they lost their way. Although the temple was built, the presence of the Lord was nowhere to be found. The people's uh, worship was mechanical. They fell into complacency. And this is God's word to the people here. The last word before John the Baptist shows up. So please rise with me. We'll be out of Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. I believe this word is going to elevate your view of our Lord here to another level here. Verse 17, this is God's response to the people of Israel. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Going to chapter three, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, God responds, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. Prophecy of Christ, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Why? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, launderer's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Why? So that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Verse 4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Verse 5, finishing up. Sudden movement here. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, 
and against adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to love you more. Spirit of God, open our minds of our hearts, the eyes of our hearts, to see who your son is more, so we will treasure him. Help us to be in awe of you, Lord, the Lord of hosts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So what was the Israelites' condition? Why was God weary with Israel? Well, first of all, God starts off half the book of Malachi, it's only four books, talking about the priests. He addresses the leadership, the priests, the leadership. What were they like? They were superficial in their service. They started offering to God the lame, the blind, the sick animals. They were saying to God, oh, we are tiresome of this. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to keep doing this? The priests were serving at a joyless obligation, and they were permissive towards sin. They weren't preaching the whole word. They were picking and choosing what to preach. And Ezra 9 and Nehemiah 13, this is a, kind of a contemporary of Malachi, a little bit before, a couple decades before, but talks about how even the priests were divorcing their own wives and marrying the pagan women, non-believing women. And when God addresses the people, the one sin that he clearly talks about with the people in chapter 2 is how they were abandoning their wives of their youth and, and going after these pagan women. They were being unfaithful in the most intimate human relationship that could possibly exist on earth. And that was very emblematic of how the Israelites were treating the Lord. So the Lord was wearied with them. He was not happy with them. So verse, first point here. Hardened hearts leads to spiritual blindness here. Verse 17 says, you have wearied the Lord. How has God been wearied? Well, God has sent generation after generation of prophets to warn them, hey, you need to repent from Isaiah to Jeremiah to Ezekiel, now to Malachi and others. Repent, Israel. Repent. Some have repented. But in large part, the nation was still hard-hearted. Like, look at the response that they give. Yet you say, verse 17, how have we wearied him? How have we wearied him? They were so hard-hearted that they couldn't even see their condition. Church family, when we harbor sin for generation after generation or time after time, we stop being sensitive to the Spirit. You have to be so sensitive in your conscience for what the Spirit is doing that you, you, you even have a wayward thought you're repenting. The Israelites were not even close to that. They're hard-hearted, and the Lord needs to refine them. How have we weird them? They start mocking the Lord and, say, and saying, in that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Look at these evildoers. None of these people are listening to you, Lord, and they're still prosperous. You must delight in them. They started to mock the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And here's another one. Or where is the God of justice? Why are the evil prospering? So these are the things that they're saying to the Lord. And our Lord addresses these accusations in the following verses. He will answer. So right here, second point. The promise of a purifier. Christ himself is the purifier. Christ means Messiah in the Greek. 
the promise of the purified. Verse 1 here of chapter 3. Behold, God says, listen up. I heard your, your back talk, but listen up now, Israel. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. This is John the Baptist. Over 400 years later, John the Baptist comes onto the scene and breaks the silence. And in Matthew 11, Jesus identifies this as John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. Said, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. You need to repent because the king is coming. He's clearing the way. And as we move along, there's more prophecy. And the Lord is talking about our Christ whom you seek, the Messiah that you've been longing, adventing to see, will suddenly come to his temple. And this is partially fulfilled in the first advent when Jesus comes and overthrows the tables. He comes to the, right, the temple and he goes, you're making my father's house a den of thieves and throws these tables around. That was a partial fulfillment of what, what's to come. Second advent's coming up. And that's the second coming of our Lord. What is this Christ going to be like? Verse 2 at the end says, For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, launderer's soap. What are these things? As Brother Allen talked about it, these are purifying agents. Fire purifies. Launderer's soap purifies. The launderer's soap separates the dirt and the mess from the clothes. The fire separates the precious gold or silver from the dross, the impurities. This is what he came to do. And so he's addressing this first accusation by the people. Everyone who does evil is good. You delight him. No, 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 no. The purifier will have his way. He must have a holy people. The Lord absolutely cares about his purity of his people. And perhaps, maybe we don't talk much about this aspect. You know, oftentimes we do talk about salvation, forgiveness of sins, and amen. Amen. That's at the top of the list. But this is a package deal. When you or I have come to Christ and Lord Jesus, you're my Lord. I surrender to you. You're, uh, you're receiving the forgiveness of your, uh, of your sins, but also you're accepting the conditions of that surrender. He's saying, all right. I'm going to purify you. I'm going to make you as holy as possible. I'm going to make you as effective as possible. This is a non-negotiable. And so the Lord sends his purifying agent. His name is Christ. I was in an old Bible study up in Seattle, and I think one of my brothers said, you know what? Salvation is absolutely free. Redemption is absolutely free. Jesus paid it all. He, he did all the work. But sanctification costs you everything. Meaning you have to surrender your will, your desires, and for Jesus' will and desire. I, I'm surrendering myself. I'm no longer king of my life. Jesus, you're the king of my life. Sanctification costs you absolutely everything. So point number three, the process of the purifier is heat. And he has a customized view of this too, a customized purification. He uses heat to purify his sons and daughters. Verse 3, first part says, For he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Who is the target group? The sons of Levi. Who are the sons of Levi? These are the priests. Our Lord is targeting the leadership of Israel first. 
I mean, brothers and sisters, it's hard to raise above the leadership. It's possible. It's not impossible, but it's hard. Oftentimes, parents, if we're not living godly lives, it's hard to expect our children to love Christ as well. If your pastors and and the leadership of our church aren't repenting and seeking the Lord earnestly, it's hard to rise above the leadership. There's responsibility as priests, as leaders of the church. Once the heart is right, your actions will be right. It's about the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. These priests were going through the motions. They're doing their sacrifices. They're going through their temple uh, ceremonies and rituals. But their heart was completely far from the Lord. Do I, do the leadership of our church family love Christ? The sons of Levi were the priests. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 makes it in a more broad sense. Peter calls every Christian a priest, a royal priesthood, we're called. And so in a sense, he's talking to all of us because no longer do we need a priest to go in between us and God now. We we have direct access to our Lord now. Now, we do not need a, a priest to offer sacrifices for us anymore. Christ, the high priest, the ultimate priest, offered himself up already. We don't need to go to a priest to confess our sins and that sort of thing. We can have direct access to the King of Kings. And in another sense, we act as priests so we help one another live holy lives. We're called to minister to one another. We're called to have the tough questions and tough uh, conversations with one another because we love one another. So what does the Lord promise here? Verse 3, the Lord promises this. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. I actually uh, did a presentation on this when I was coaching to try to make a point to our team one time. And there's incredible (laughs) YouTube videos of of people melting and smelting metal. And what is, how did the refiner work? As we learned today, there's intense heat applied to the metals, these precious metals, gold and silver, uh, Malachi talks about. And this gold or silver is mined out of the earth. and It's been sitting with the earth, sitting and surrounded by this earth for hundreds, thousands of years, perhaps. And so when they mine this gold or silver, it's full of impurities. Just like us, all of us were born into sin. Since the fall, every single one of us, except for Christ, is born into sin. And we've been surrounded by the San Gabriel Valley. We've been surrounded by the internet. We've been surrounded with music. We've been surrounded with media. We've been surrounded with other non-believing people. Movies. We've been polluted. We've been surrounded with how our generation, our family has done things after, over and over and over. We're just like that gold and silver. Although we're precious, we need refinement. And so the, so the refiner will put a torch after he puts the gold or the silver in a crucible, and the gold actually melted 1,943 degrees Fahrenheit. Silver's a different temperature. Silver's 1,763 degrees Fahrenheit. You have to get it just right. You have to get it just right. And as the, as the gold melts, it's heavier, so it starts to sink. And all the junk and the dross, it's amazing. It just starts floating to the surface. 
This is the process. This is the picture that our Lord has for us. And I kind of want to camp out here a little bit because this is important because all of us are going to go through some kind of trial. And heat is applied to us through the means of trials, hard times. What do trials accomplish? Two things. Number one, if you're a note taker, you write this. It proves your faith. And number two, it produces your character. It proves your genuineness of your faith, which is critical. You want to know that you're actually with Jesus before you see him. On this side of eternity, you have to have that question figured out. Without a shadow of doubt, you want to know and have your faith tested now. Let's turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 6 and 7. It'll be up on the screen too if you need, but I know I like turning there myself. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. It says this. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Trials, some heat. So that, why Peter? So that the proof, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, there it is again, fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning, when Jesus Christ comes back, as we Advent, Jesus come back, we say, Lord, I know I truly believe in you. I know, Jesus, that I genuinely love you. Maybe not perfectly, but I genuinely love you. Going back to the illustration of the refiner, how does the refiner know if it's real gold? Right? And one of our episodes of Little House on a Prairie that we like to watch as a family, there's an episode called Fool's Gold, right? Fool's Gold. The official term for Fool's Gold is pyrite. Pyrite. So what happens when you put pyrite or Fool's Gold into the fire? As you think about yourself, you want to know, am I genuine gold? Maybe not perfectly pure, 24 karat, but am I genuine gold? Well, first of all, pyrite melts at 2,150 degrees. Or gold, like I said, it's about roughly 1900. About 250 degrees hotter. Okay, so that's a, that's, that's a test. Like, all right, how come it's not melting yet? All right, red flag. Second thing, the pyrite is a lot of sulfur in it, so it starts to stink. Okay? It starts to emit an odor. It just starts to stink. The gold, no sulfur, no odor. Just melting. Third thing, which is a very telling thing, once it's cooled, the pyrite gets cooled, it's like black coal, right? It no longer has that shiny, that gold-like appearance. It's black coal-like substance because it's a mineral. It's not actual metal. It's a mineral. The gold, once it's cooled, becomes pure and returns to its hardened golden form. It maintains itself. It's metal. It's metal. So as a Christian... As a professing believer, one of the burdens I have as a, as a pastor now addressing the church family, do you know as you're sitting in here that you are genuine? Have you tested yourself to see if you're in the faith? Because what I'm saying is this, the most dreadful moment will be, Lord, Lord, do not, I not know you? I don't know you when you see him on the other side of turn. Lord, Lord, did I not attend church? I don't know you. Lord, Lord, did I not read my Bible every other day? No, I don't know you. Lord, Lord, didn't I serve? 
I don't know you. You have to know if you're in the faith. You have to know. And if you do, you just rejoice. Praise God. I am genuine. You have to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And trials do that. Hard things of life do that. And your loved one gets ill. Perhaps Christmas time, Advent time is a difficult time for you because you have lost loved ones. Perhaps you, you got passed up for that job promotion that you know you deserve, and the one who's cheating behind the scenes got the elevation. Perhaps financially things are very difficult. Perhaps there's relational things. Perhaps you're like, Lord, I did everything you said to raise our children and to love you, but they have no interest in you. These are trials. These are trials, and how you respond will reveal the genuineness of your faith. It's easy to say praise the Lord when things are nice and peaceful and easy and comfortable. When the heat is on, what, do you emit an odor like the pyrite? Or do you just, it's hard. I'm in a hard place, but Lord, I praise you. You're honest with the Lord, but at the end of the day, I still trust you, Lord. That's some genuine faith. That's some genuine gold right there. Second thing that uh, trials do, it perfects our faith. Let's turn to James chapter 1 uh, to the left a little bit. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. 2 through 4, excuse me. James, little brother of Jesus, who went through his own trials as well, so did Peter, talks about trials. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when, in, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There it is. And let endurance have its perfect result. You'll be perfected so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow. Going back to the refiner and, and the pyrite. You know what happens to that coal after it cools off and is able to harden some? It gets very brittle and almost pottery-like dust. It shows its true colors once it comes back to its form. Gets weaker. It gets weaker. It gets weaker when the trials hit that pyrite. But what happens to the gold? It gets solid, firm, more precious, more pure. God has a plan for us. And whatever you're going through, whatever we're going through, whether it's a physical thing, relational thing, oftentimes relational ones are really hard especially from other Christians. You expect more from Christians. You should expect more from Christians. Those are hard. Those are hard. But God is perfecting your faith. He's making you stronger. He's making you more effective. He's making you more holy. And in this thought of Advent, we know he came to earth over 2,000 years ago. But in the spirit of sense, in a sense, in the spirit of Advent, he keeps coming back to us. He keeps revisiting us to keep continue to refine us. It's, this is not a one-time process. He continues to work in us. He loves us that much. This is a repeated process. Now why? Point number four. Let's move to point number four. Why? Verse three talks about it. Back to Malachi. 
The purpose for purity is for holy offerings. Second part of uh, verse 3. Why, why, Malachi? So that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. The more sanctified we are, the more we're able to present holy offerings to the Lord. We are. 1 Peter 2.5 says, going back to Peter, he says, he says, we're a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices. What are these spiritual sacrifices? It's ourselves. It's ourselves. It's our service to the Lord, spirit-led, according to his word. We're surrendering to Christ. We, yes, sir, we'll do what you have for us, Lord, the Lord of hosts. This is our sacrifice. And the more sanctified, the more holy, the more pure we are, the more useful we are. In, in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, it says, when we wash ourselves from these things, these things are sinful things, we become more useful to, in the master's hands. Don't you want to be useful to the master's hands? This is, time is short. I don't know if maybe you can or cannot sense a sense of urgency in me. Time is short. We don't know how long we have to live on this side of eternity, but there's only a certain amount of things that we could do here where we can't do on the other side of eternity. We're, we're, we're not evangelizing in heaven. We're not calling people to repentance in heaven. Our Lord wants to get what he paid for. He paid for us dearly with a deep price. He died for us on the cross. He wants, he wants all of us. He wants us to make as many plays as possible for his glory while we can. While we're in the game, he wants us to be as effective as possible. None of us are spectators. Not, no Christians in here, uh, brothers and sisters, none of us are spectators. We're all participating in this event. Now, I was meeting with a brother, and, and a man that I respect greatly of our church family, just meeting with him for a coffee and he shared this thing with me about, you know, praying a prayer that says, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Lord, purify me. Whatever it takes, Lord, make me love you more. Whatever it takes, Lord, mold me into your image. Whatever it takes, equip me to have maximum effectiveness. And he talked to me, this brother I love, and I could tell there's a passion and a love for Christ gleaming through his eyes. And he just said, you know, a lot of guys are afraid to pray this prayer. I mean, I get it, right? Like, it, it, after all, heat or trials hurt. It's, it's not comfortable, you know? Comfort is much, e much more easier. Basically, you're praying, God, I know your instrument to refine me. Give me some more heat. Do you pray this, brothers and sisters? Do you pray this? Do you pray this? I want to maybe encourage us to start praying some of this because, and I think the greatest encouragement comes to our Lord. Let's go to verse 3 here of chapter 3 of Malachi. i got three, three words only I want to read. At the top of verse 3. Let's look to Christ. Let's look to Christ for encouragement. Could we dare, Lord, whatever it takes, make me love you more. Our God is awesome. He says this in verse 3. He will sit. He will sit. 
Simply put, our Lord sits in front of us, watching us very carefully. I heard it put this way, as there's an interview, someone interviewed like a, a refiner. I said, what do you do? How do you put this in? Well, we're very careful as we get the gold, the refiner would say, and we want to get every bit of it or old jewelry. We don't want to drop it in the wrong place. We want to get into the crucible. If it's in powder form, we want to make sure we get every grain, every bit of gold dust into the crucible. Because why? Because th this metal is so precious. We can't lose any, any bit of it. Any ounce of it lost is a big loss. So this refiner will be very careful as he places this gold or silver into the crucible. Our Lord is sitting, watching us, placing us carefully into this crucible here. And he takes special care as he sits, waiting on us. And there's a customized plan. Like I said, there's different melting temperatures for silver and gold. He carefully ministers the heat. He is sovereign. He carefully ministers the heat and watches the temperature. It has to hit the, the lowest amount for the gold to start melting or the silver to start melting. But the problem is if it gets too hot, it could injure the gold or the silver. God's not going to allow you to go through something that you can't handle. He's not going to crush you. If you're a saint in Christ, he has good plans for you. Romans 8, 28, right? We know this verse. For all things work for good to those, for everybody, no, to those who love him, to those who love God. And so he's watching the heat here, and gold is different from silver, 1900 approximate, 1700 approximate for silver. So we're all different. We all have different needs. We all have different sin issues. We all have different histories and backgrounds. And God knows how much heat we could actually take or what our threshold levels. He knows. So as you pray, Lord, whatever it takes, Know that it's not just going to be some random furnace. God has a special furnace for you and me. He does not want to injure us. And, 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 and as the refiner was talking about the process, said, how do you know when the gold or silver is ready? The purifier, the refiner says, when I can start seeing my own image. When our Lord could see his own image in our lives, we're getting closer. When we start reflecting Christ to the world, we're getting closer. And guess what, brothers and sisters? People are watching when things are hard. If you want a platform, when things get tough, people are watching. You have an opportunity to reflect our Lord's goodness and power in your life. When he could see his own image, he said. Isn't that perfect? Our Lord knows what he's saying when he gives us these illustrations. They're perfect. They preach in their sermon in themselves. So our Lord knows. Take comfort. If you're going through a trial, our Lord is carefully watching over you. Our Lord is sitting there. He will sit, it says, with you and me as we're going through our trials. Remember, the Israelites' hearts were absolutely hardened. If your heart is hardened right now, maybe it takes a little more heat. Maybe it takes a little bit more heat. But if you're soft and humble 
if you're soft and humble, it should take less heat, right? All right, point number five. Let's finish up here. The purifier, fire, this is what we're looking forward to coming out, will burn off the dross. This is a corporate purification. Let me, read with me verse 5 here. This part was horrifying for me. This is a horrifying thing that, a very sanctified thing that the Lord was taking me through as I was studying chapter, verse 5. Then I will draw suddenness, sudden movement by the Lord. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, those who practice witchcraft, black magic, mysticism, and against the adulterers, unfaithful to your wives and husbands, and against those who oppress the wage earner. In his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, those who take advantage of those who can't take care of themselves. I skipped over those who swear falsely. Those who are not honest, says the Lord of hosts. Now he's addressing the second accusation. Where is the God of justice? Here it is. This is divine judgment. And, and at the end of verse 5, it says the Lord of hosts. In Malachi, just four books, the Lord of hosts is yours 21 times. What is God trying to tell us? 21 times. The Lord of hosts emphasizes his warrior side, the Lord, the commander of the armies of the living God, the Lord of this horde. God is the one that says, I command these. I am a general. I am a war general. I am a warrior. And every thought, every word spoken, every deed done, every deed not done will be judged. God will have his way, saying, the Lord hosts. This is talking about divine judgment, wrath on sinners, those who are against him. If you're not a Christian, you're against him. You're his enemy. But the Lord of hosts is gracious. Verse 1, it says, he will send my messenger. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist acted as a herald for Christ. Make way for the Lord. You need to repent. Here's a warning. Here's a warning. Please repent. The king is coming. The king is coming. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a warning to the enemies of the Lord of hosts. And I was, why this was getting so horrific for me is I was drawn back to maybe when I was in third grade. My, um, my parents forced me <laughs> to go to Japanese school on Saturday mornings. That means no Smurfs, no my favorite cartoons. You know what I'm talking about, those who are 40 or so. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Saturday mornings. Like, how come my friends get to stay home? I couldn't, right? I mean, there's some other cool cartoons, but that, that's the one that comes to mind. But this was in the height of the Cold War in the 80s, like early, mid-80s, you know, Ronald Reagan, Gorbachev, the Cold War, Russia, USA. And I was reading in one of our lessons in Japanese school, in Japanese, kind of there's kind of a history account of, of Hiroshima, of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, how, how that happened. They have these black and white pictures kind of, of, of his leftover building of like a dome-like building. And my mind was drawn to that. So on August 6, 1945, the United States dropped the, the first atomic bomb on this planet on Japan. That horrified me as a, as a boy. That horrified me. And then the next target would be Nagasaki. And as I supposedly, the, the government, which flew these bombers, dropped leaflet warnings to Nagasaki. 
And I have a copy of this. It translated, it was in Japanese, now it's in English. But this is what it read. To the Japanese people, America asks you that you, you take immediate heed of what we say on this leaflet. We are in possession of the most destructive explosive ever devised by man. A single one of our newly developed atomic bombs is actually the equivalent in explosive power to what two thousands of our giant B-29s, these, these bomber planes, can carry. Two thousands of these payloads of, of, the, of these planes can carry on a single mission. This awful fact is one for you to ponder, and we solemnly assure you it is, it, it, it is grimly accurate. We have begun to use this weapon against your homeland. If you still have any doubt, make inquiry as to what happened to Hiroshima when just one atomic bomb fell on that city. Before using this bomb to destroy every resource of the military by which they are prolonging this useless war, we ask that you now petition the emperor to end the war. Our president has outlined for, for, for you the 13 consequences of an honorable surrender. We urge that you accept these consequences begin the work of building a new, better, and peace-loving Japan. You should take steps now to cease military resistance. Otherwise, we shall resolutely employ this bomb and all our other superior weapons to promptly and forcefully end the war. Evacuate your cities. Attention, Japanese people, evacuate your cities. Three days later, August 9, 1945, another a bomb, even more devastating, more powerful than Hiroshima was dropped in Nagasaki. Boom, destroyed that city. Now, I'm not here saying, like, I know for sure that these leaflets, supposedly these leaflets were dropped in time for people to respond. I don't even know that. But I could boldly tell you now, brothers and sisters and friends, that Christ has given us fair warning through the scriptures. John the Baptist was sent. And in a sense, we're all John the Baptist. Are we warning people of the coming dangers that's, that's eminently ahead of us? Eminently. Do we act as living heralds, as living leaflets to people around us? Our co-workers, our family members, our friends our neighbor down the street that we greet uh, lovingly every morning? Are we warning them of the coming danger? If L.A. was dropped with the internet or uh, on social media, a, a legitimate warning, and we all know, hey, L.A., on this date, this is what's going to happen, all of us be driving to Arizona and beyond. We would take that warning so seriously if, if it was a legitimized warning. And I'm not here to say that President Truman was justified in his decisions. I don't know. I'm not even judging that. But I know what historically happened. But I know our Lord, the Lord of hosts, is perfectly just in his judgment. I know that. You know that. We won't be asking him any questions. He'll be asking us all the questions. So verse 1 it says this, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, suddenly Suddenly, this is talking in a very ominous tone, a tone of judgment. Boom. Why you don't even expect it? Here he comes. Verse 2 says, Who, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand against the Lord of hosts? And who can stand when he appears? None of us are going to be 
asking any questions in that moment. Verse 5 is about divine judgment. Malachi uh, chapter 3, just move over to your right a little bit, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. And verse 1, the first verse of of chapter 4. So, God is doing this corporate purifications. God is doing this corporately removing his people from the lost. Verse 18, so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, those who are saved and those who are not, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him, the one who serves God or serves the world. There's only, there's only two teams, Jesus' team and everybody else. Verse 1 of, of chapter 4, for behold, there it is again. Listen up. The day is coming, burning like a furnace. There is that imagery of fire, the refiner's fire, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evildoers will be chaffed. Burned up. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, the great divine military commander, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to talk about this because I want us to feel the full weight of this. I've been praying for our church family, and it's great as maybe Pastor Paul talking about it. Are we in awe of our Lord? Yes, he came as a baby in the manger. Amen. Praise God. Gentle. Yes, he came riding on the donkey. Yes. Yes, he healed the sick, healed the blind. But the second coming is a different coming. Revelation 19, he comes riding a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. Upon the rapture of his church, Christ suddenly returns, suddenly returns, and unleashes judgment on the wicked where he separates the tares from the wheat. He separates and removes the goats from the sheep. He eradicates the dross from the gold. Corporate purification and receives a pure bride, the church, to himself. He's interested in a pure bride and establishes millennial reign. And then something else happens after that. Turn to, this is worth it. Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to just follow along here. We're called to revere and fear the Lord and stand in awe of his name. 2 Peter the last, one of the last things that Peter writes about, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, describes verse 5 of Malachi chapter 3. And at the end here. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, suddenly. You don't expect a thief to come. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. There's heat and fire again. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Its works as well. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We're called to be holy and godly, anticipating this day, brothers and sisters. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. In 
intense heat, the Bible talks about atomic bomb, atomic energy. At the, at the hottest point of, uh, of explosion, the atomic bomb reached 108 million degrees Fahrenheit. 108 million degrees Fahrenheit. In a moment, boom, 108 degrees. That's three times the temperature of the sun's core. Three times. And our sun's not even the biggest sun in the galaxy. 10,000 times the temperature of the sun's surface. And how I'm doing, so I'm not trying to make an atomic bomb, but just trying to understand how this works. <laughs> I guess there's heat emitted when you split atoms somehow. You do that. And this is an interesting thought. In Hebrews and Colossians, it says this, Our Lord upholds the entire universe, every single atom. Every atom that makes all of us, every atom that makes every, every animal, plant, Water, every atom that makes up every planet, every star, every nuclear, every atom God holds. How does he do it? By the power of his word. Because he said, hey, stay together, atoms. And guess what? In this moment, you know how this intense heat perhaps could be produced? Loosen. Every single atom in the created universe unbinds and there's this atomic energy that's released. It's over. And then God starts brand new. Verse 13 here of Peter. But according to his promise, he promises to take us back to a perfect state, a, a situation without, without any sin. This is what we long for. This is what Advent is about. We long for this day, Lord. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. A new heaven, new earth, where there's no sin. Righteous, completely righteous. What? I mean, I know I, know I love the Lord. But this is scary to me. I don't know about you guys. I, I don't know if this is horrifying, this is exciting. I heard someone clapping, that's good. I'm excited. But does this sound like good news to you? If you're honest with yourself, does this sound like good news to you? My wife, I talked to her about this, and she astutely said, well, Charlotte said, it depends on who's listening, right? Amen. So for the non-believer, the unbeliever, bad news, judgment. If you're a sorcerer, if you're an adulterer, if you're a non-believer, if you're unredeemed, bad news. But to the believer, this is good news. This is good news. And I want to encourage and take this opportunity as we in Advent season to talk to the unbeliever here. Malachi 3.6, the next verse says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. God is he's faithful to his promises. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. God is offering you peace, a, a, a gospel covenant that he will not renege on. He's right now, he, it's still good news to you because he has not returned yet, unbeliever. Take his hand. Take his offer of salvation. Today is the day where you come to know him as friend instead of enemy. Today is the day where this 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13 becomes good news to you. Surrender to him today. Surrender to him today. And to the believer, take courage. Amos 9.9 9 says he doesn't lose one kernel. 
He doesn't lose one grain of gold dust. If you're gold, he will not lose you. Even amidst the craziness of life, he will not lose you. He will hold you. Our Lord is good. He is the purifier. He is the one that we are looking for. You could trust him. And he has all the power that he needs to make his promises come true. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for Malachi. Thank you for this word. Thank you for how you worked in my heart. Thank you that you are humbling me through this. Thank you that you're making even me terrified as I was studying this. I pray, Lord, that, that you would elevate the, the view of your church family here, uh, of our hearts at Evergreen. It should be a higher view of who you are. We will be in fear of you. We will revere you. We will respect you. We will be in awe of your name, as the Bible talks about. And that we will be able to trust you as you sit with us. He will sit. Thank you for sitting with Lord Jesus. Thank you that you care for us that much. Thank you that you will not let one grain of gold dust fall to the ground because we are precious in your sight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, Father, I pray we would embrace this purification process. We could trust you in it. Whatever we're going through, we can see your goodness. There's a hopefulness in it that you're refining us. You're making us more pure. We love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the greatest treasure of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.